It is 9 a.m. on a Friday, and that means it is time for JP2 Morning Crew. It's good to be with you. My name is Brandon Clark, coming to you from the Morning Crew studio, and co hosting with me today is Steve Splonskowski. Steve, good morning to you. Good morning, Brandon. Another great morning to be here on JP2 Catholic Radio. Thank, uh, thank you so much for uh, being here as this conversation today. Yeah, absolutely. Steve, today is the memorial of St. Polycarp. He was a bishop of Smyrna and a martyr. I actually, as I was looking up his his history a little bit, he was supposed to be burned alive, but the flames didn't harm him. So he ended up being stabbed to death instead. <laughs> like it's, it's amazing like how God just foils the plans of man. But I thought actually we could reflect for a moment on the gospel reading for his memorial, because I think there's there's a deep calling to us as Catholics in it. So that gospel reading is from John 15, verses 18 through 21. Jesus said to his disciples, if the world hates you, realize that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, the world would love its own. But because you do not belong to the world and I have chosen you out of the world, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you. No slave is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. And they will do all things to you on account of my name, because they do not know the one who sent me. Steve, I I mean, obviously a great reflection with St. Polycarp, who is a martyr himself, but what stands out to you about the reading today? Well, I think you're, the first thing, Brandon, that stands out is that, you know, that they will persecute us because they don't know who sent Jesus. They don't know the Father. Um, and, of course, we know salvation history that our God has been trying to reveal himself to us from the beginning of creation. He has been trying to enter into uh, the human timeline uh, through relationship with us throughout salvation history. We hear that all throughout the Old Testament. Um, and so he's been trying to reveal himself. Matter of fact, even other nations, you know, you think about Greek mythology, there seems to be some interesting overlap between Greek mythology and Christian and the Christian uh, salvation history. Why? Because God has been trying to reveal himself to all of us throughout, man, you know, throughout time. They just kind of didn't quite get it, right? There's kind of a, there's these funny overlaps. And so we, this is, is the sad part is that we haven't recognized him. Um, and Christ came um, and had to reveal the Father to us in himself. And so there's that, that entrance into this, this relationship that is always open to us. But if we choose to close our hearts to it, um, as you know, we know this, this image of Christ knocking at the door, he knocks, he stands and knocks, but he waits for us to open the door. And so, of course, through our own choices, we choose not to enter relationship with the Lord. Also through some woundedness, we all have the, you know, the woundedness of sin generally, but even those you know, individual choices and the individual choices of those around us does create wounds for us. And so, um, but by Christ's wounds, we are healed. And so that is the great, you know, would be the great message of Polycarp. 
um, to the people that uh, through Christ, our wounds are healed and we can be in this relationship with him that he's been inviting us to for all of all of creation history. And I think it's interesting because right, they tried to burn him alive and that didn't work. So they stabbed him. And I bet they thought that they were successful in killing him. But the thing is, like, we can't foil the plans of God. It's just not possible. And in the, the gospel, it talks about how we do not belong to the world. And God has chosen us out of the world. Like, yes, we live here and we want to live virtuous lives, but this isn't the end. Yeah, I mean, it's, again, that relationship with the Lord. Every day is a new beginning. And I know Polycarp has talked about this in many of his sermons, about living in the present moment and, and really the invitation to regularly live in the present moment. In fact, in the Office of the Readings, um, that is very often the one that returns to is talking about this present moment is really God's gift to us. And uh, if we don't, there's, there's so much grace in the present moment that if we don't enter into it, we really lose out uh, because we're looking at the next moment. We're living for the next exciting thing in, fr in front of us. But no, the Lord is really giving everything to us in this moment. And I, I often think how we try to make decisions or we worry about decisions in the future um, because we're just not quite sure what to do. But the reason we really worry about them the most is because we don't have the grace to deal with them because we're not in that moment. But when we do it to get into that present moment, the grace is there for us. And that's, you know, that true sense that the Lord will never give us something that we, he doesn't also give us the grace to handle in the present moment, but he doesn't give me the grace to handle the future right now because I'm not there. And so Polycarp does really invite us to live in that present moment um, and be with Christ at every moment throughout our day. So in this present moment, we pray for the intercession of St. Polycarp. St. Polycarp, pray for us. Today on JP2 Morning Crew, our guest is John Proust, who is the director of the Office for Family Life and Spirituality at the Diocese of San Diego. Our topic for today is a little bit of a different one, mental health ministry, Steve. Yeah, I mean, it's a great topic. I think that we all, you know, we, we don't, many of us don't really understand ourselves very well, right? When we have those feelings, um, we kind of get down some feelings of maybe, maybe a, a kind of a uh, maybe a, a feeling of depression or a feeling of melancholy. I'm not quite sure what to do with those feelings. And I think it's it's really great to have the conversation to say, first of all, we all have this, okay? We all have these moments where we're just not really sure what to do with our feelings throughout our entire lives, right? As a teenager, I was like, what the heck? Why do I feel this way when my dad says that to me? It doesn't make any sense, right? We have that. And so uh, talking about what does this what is, what is mental health and how do we really work through this um, together and understand um, how the Lord has created us? Yeah. So, John, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Hey, as we kick things off, do you mind leading us in a prayer? Sure. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Um, dear Lord, as we take this time to reflect on mental health and mental health ministry, we want to pray in a special way for all of our families, all of our people and our pews. You know, anyone who's struggling, who's wounded, who's in need of healing, we pray for those with mental health challenges, those burdened by the weight of domestic abuse and challenges, couples struggling with infertility and reproductive loss, people struggling with addictions of various sorts, and any families who might feel alone, unsupported, or disconnected from our faith communities. Above all, we pray that our efforts as ministers of marriages and families may bring our families closer to you and to heaven, 
promote the sanctity of marriage and support the family as a domestic church and a school of holiness witnessed through all stages of life. We ask Saints Priscilla and Aquila, patron saints of our office, to pray for us. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. It's a great prayer, John, and thank you for leading us in that again. A great, uh, I, you know, it's an interesting, the, the link between, you know, you're the director of the Office for Family Life and Spirituality, um, and, and talking about this, you know, mental health, and how that really does get played out in a real way in the family, right? The domestic church, as you mentioned. Uh, let's talk a little bit about that. What are, what are our families struggling with uh, today that, that really stands out to you that we really need to address and, and be there? walk to walk with them in well yeah i, I mean I, I think it's just so important that we as as faith leaders or you know family life ministers and to me the term family life ministers really includes all of us because i think you know in our baptism the primary way that we are going to be called to evangelize you know isn't by going out on street corners and holding holding signs it's by evangelizing to the people who are in front of us which vast majority of the time is going to be our families and how are we called to do that how are we called to love them so we're all called number one to love our families love our spouses love our parents that's the main way especially through the vocation of, of marriage is this is how i'm called to evangelize and bring the gospel you know to to those around me this is my special calling so what does that look like so i think it's really important for all of us to be really aware of of what the special struggles are that our families are facing which is going to be different from community to community, but I think obviously there are some some trends, some things that families everywhere right now are struggling with. Obviously, one of them is time. Everyone just feels, you know, just overburdened with this and that, and bringing kids here and taking kids there and working and trying to you know, put food on the table. It's just, it, it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot, and you're trying to take care of your marriage, and it's um, so just you know. And again, I think it's important for our our faith leaders, our priests, our deacons, our you know, to really sort of be able to empathize with that. Um, I think it's so easy, you know, when we're in leaderships of position in the church, you know, myself included, before I had kids, you know, I was working at the parish and you would just, you hear a lot like, oh, those families today, why don't they come to mass as often as they use? You know, it's almost like you're coming at it from that place of like standing outside of the reality that the families face. And then when you have kids yourself, <laughs> right, you start to really walk walk within that experience a little more. You have more empathy for them, more you know, more understanding of, of all, you know just the challenges that they face. I mean, obviously the challenges are manifold, and but but we we need to be aware of them. We had that experience ourselves. We have a almost three year old and a ten month old, and before we had kids, we could kind of go and do whatever we want. And, and we thought we had it all together and, and we really didn't, uh, you know, we we're fooling ourselves, but, but my wife and I were just talking the other day about like, our, our life is chaos right now. I mean, like you can't tell it's like telling a three-year-old what to do is like hurting cats. It's just not easy to do. And then they'll listen like one minute. And then in the next minute they'll be off, like kicking the brother or throwing the laundry on the floor. Like there's just like, there's a beauty in yes. it, but like there's challenges yes. that a lot of people just don't always understand if they're not going through it themselves. Yeah. I think there's, I like what you said that there's a tremendous beauty in that. I think we really have to remind our families of that. There's something beautiful about the chaos. And I think too often as Catholics, we have this, you know, this image of holiness is, 
you know, we all sort of kneel in front of, you know, on a prix de dieu, you know, in, in front of a, a, a beautiful portrait of, you know, of the divine mercy, and we're all silent. And sort of this sort of monastic way is like what we think of when we think of holiness. I think, you know, as families, we have to readjust and realize that there's beauty in the messiness, there's beauty in the holiness. Um, you know, Greg and Lisa Popchak, who you may know, they're big leaders in family ministry. And they've been talking, I love this concept that they've been promoting that they're calling the liturgy of domestic church life. And part of that is realizing that those things that we kind of take for granted, the messiness, if you will, can be liturgical. You know, it, it, they can become rituals. They can be raised in which we grow in our appreciation of God in our midst within the mess, right? We just had Christmas. Um, God comes to us in a mess, in a manger, in an, you know, and our lives are the same way. So we need to kind of make those connections and be reminded of that. We are not called to live holiness in a way that, you know, the monastics do, but that it's no, it's no less holy in its own way. Yeah, I love that. I love that image, John, that you put out there too. And Brandon, your, your question there, your, your you know, image of your daughter running around, because we do have, we have that sense. And I think sometimes maybe this is a, a man thing where we see a kind of a problem in front of us and we want to fix it. Um, we want order and we want structure. And, and and that seems because order and structure is beautiful. That's good. But we have to recognize that, and, and maybe this will sound funny, but that there can be order and structure in the midst of chaos uh, by the way we handle it, the way we deal with it, uh, the way we kind of, in a creative way, uh, enter into that and make it kind of, I mean, you know, sometimes art can be a little chaotic. And I think that's the art of life is, is allowing that chaos um, to to kind of point to the beauty of order, right? You don't recognize that how beautiful order is until you recognize how terrible chaos is. But there's something about that. And it's, you're, it's always a moving towards, a movement towards it, working towards it. Um, but kind of like uh, kind of like our life here on earth, we never, we never arrive until the end of our lives. We don't arrive into eternity until the end of our lives. And so similarly, I think with the family, we don't enter, enter into this perfect order um, except in that we recognize that there's a, a desire for it and we're continuing striving for it. We continue every day to forgive one another. And yes, we continue to, to wound one another out of our, because of our own sinfulness. And then we continue to you know, forgive one another. And it's a constant journey towards that. If you're just tuning in, this is the JP2 Morning Crew on JP2 Radio. We're visiting this morning with John Proust of the Diocese of San Diego. Our topic this morning is mental health. And John, we want to shift gears a little bit and talk a little about the mental health ministry in the diocese. It's actually unique. Um, and actually, you know, the Diocese of San Diego was on the ground floor towards mental health ministry. So let's dive a little bit into that, starting with what is mental health ministry in your mind? Yeah, I mean, mental health ministry, I think putting those words together is somewhat of a new new concept in the church. I mean, I think if you mentioned mental health ministry even 10 years ago, you might have gotten some, you know, uh, looks of what is that? Uh, but I think more and more we're getting it, you know, it's becoming more popularized. We're seeing parishes start to take it on. And, and our diocese was one of the first. And I think when I think of mental health ministry, I really think of kind of three main areas, if you will. Um, I think accompaniment is a huge one accompaniment and they're all kind of related accompaniment kind of walking with our families our our, our parishioners are who are really struggling um uh stigma and education which kind of go hand in hand um increasing education and through that reducing the stigma um, and then knowing where to refer people and 
you know, the accompaniment piece, when I think of mental health ministry, I, I often think of it too, is it's really just sort of an extension of the pastoral care ministry that the parish has and sort of being partners with, with the clergy in that, right? The, the priests and deacons can't be there for everyone all the time. So in a sense, a mental health ministry can kind of be an extension of that ministry in their own way. I think mental health ministry connects to everything. Um, you know, mental health ministry does not mean you are the practitioner of that mental health, of those services. So we're not turning our parishes into counseling offices. That, that's not what we mean. But we're saying we want to accompany you in your struggles, just like we would accompany families or individuals who are struggling with physical health conditions. Um, part of what we're dealing with with mental health ministry, though, is also the stigma of it. Um, you know, one of, kind of one of the things that we hear a lot in mental health ministry is this comparison with like if you have a family member in your parish and you find out that they're going through cancer treatments or you know, they got some major health issue that comes up, you know, people start to call and they do a meal chain and then there, there isn't sort of this shame associated with that. It's like you get cancer, it's it, it happens and it's a tragedy when we're here to support you. But but for whatever reason, we haven't really thought of mental health ministry in that same way there. And, you know, in, in some communities, the stigma is worse than in others, but there's often less of an openness. There's, you know, there's less vulnerability about being about wanting to share those things. So, you know, that in some cases, I think, has prevented the church from maybe themselves offering these ministries. So so the, the you know, reducing the stigma kind of goes hand in hand with then being able to accompany these folks and walking with them and then making sure we're walking with them to an end, like getting them the support that they need. Right. So in our parishes, we might be able to meet with them a few times and listen to them. But if they require some professional help that, you know, that's that's not our job. We're not social service agencies, but we can't just leave them hanging. You know, where do we refer them? So I think a big part of mental health ministry, too, is helping our parishes to become aware of building relationships with um, with those services in the community. Um, an example that comes to mind would be. You know, in, in North County, San Diego, there is a, a safe place. They call it safe place, but it's basically a, 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 a place that you know, has resources for, for those who are experiencing domestic abuse. And so parishes should have that phone number right, you know, on a piece of paper in the office. And they can give that to folks who may need it. Um, knowing the therapists that are in your community, Catholic, especially Catholic therapists. So often when people call our parishes and, you know, they're looking for a therapist who can integrate the spiritual side into it. And so it's really essential for our parishes, for our diocese, to be able to, again, have those names available. We can give those referrals and, and not just sending them to a sort of impersonal website with a bunch of names. Because there, I mean, there are websites out there like catholicpsychologist.com, but like even better, knowing who those people are, you know, and referring them to somebody that you know that they're going to be in good hands with them. So all of these, you know, these three things, accompaniment, um, stigma and education, and referral to me are kind of the three three key ingredients of, of mental health ministry. And then, you know, it's going to look different in different parishes, depending on the level of stigma, depending on the resources in the community. Um, so Great. I think it's the thing about those three areas. Is it, as uh, the diocese has chosen to enter into this ministry, was there a, a what was the conversation like of saying, we really wanted, we really need to go in this direction? Was there something that pushed you in that, that direction? Yeah, I think Kent Peters was the former director of the Office for Social Ministry in our diocese. And he's the one who, you know, and he can tell the story of, of the inspiration for starting it better than I can. He's retired now. He actually moved up back to the Midwest. Um, but, but he was really the one. And I think it came out of a conversation after a mass with somebody 
uh, I think it, I, I think the story he tells is it was actually a mass for somebody who took their own life. And he was having a conversation about somebody afterwards, like, what can we do? What can we do in our parishes to prevent this? And that was the beginning of a conversation towards, you know, building or creating a model of what a parish mental health ministry would look like. You know, first of all, what is it? How do you build it? And then he also created a diocesan network where he would get the leaders of these different ministries together to learn from each other. And so to this day, we get those folks together at least once once a month. We've also started a, a Spanish network. So that, that, you know, that's as of the last few months, we've finally developed that. There's a huge need, obviously, in our Spanish speaking community, just as much as English in the area of mental health. Uh, but getting those folks together to learn from each other, um, recognizing that there's no, there's not necessarily one model, one size fits all when it comes to mental health ministry, you know, in some parishes, I think it just depends on the context of the parish and the community. Like I said, the levels of stigma can be very different in one community to another, depending on the makeup of the community. So that community can really look at, you know, what do we need? Where are the needs in our community? How can we be co-workers in the vineyard with our priests and deacons and helping them in this ministry of accompanying our people who are who are really struggling. I think accompaniment is really important. I think about the the way that Jesus sent out the apostles and the disciples, right? He sent them out two by two. And really it just points to the fact that we aren't made to live this life and journey through life alone. You know, as you see in this office and this ministry, the idea of accompaniment and working with people, what has been the reception of that? I mean, I just, there's been a tremendous amount of momentum. And I think, um, Brandon, earlier you were talking about COVID. I think, you know, one of the interesting things with COVID is, there was this incredible resurgence of the awareness of the need for this. Because again, we all heard about the, the increasing rates of people who are isolated and lonely and just disconnected. And I think a lot of these things were there, but COVID just sort of brought it out, became more evident. We became more aware of it. And I think we have such a beautiful thing to offer in our faith communities. Our parishes are exactly what our society needs. I mean, places of community, where you're accepted for who you are and you're loved for who you are and you can be vulnerable and you can bring all of your messes to the altar. That's what we're supposed to do, right? And place them in Jesus's hands. You know, uh, I, I, I never tire of communicating to folks like we don't go to mass because we're perfect. We go to mass because re we realize we're broken and we need a savior. So our parishes in and of themselves are places where we bring our junk, we bring our challenges. And so I think mental health ministry can also just really help people to be aware of that that's part of the role of the parish as a whole. You know, we're supposed to be open. We're supposed to be vulnerable about the challenges we face. You know, being a parish leader isn't about necessarily having to walk around as if we have it all together. You know, being a parish leader, I think, is being especially vulnerable, <laughs> being able to be vulnerable. And when I think of some of my favorite mentors that I've had in faith, they were all people who were like the first person in the room. They were like the holiest person in the room, but they'd be the first to say, I'm messed up. <laughs> I'm disordered. You know, and I, I think that's that's a sign. That's what we that's what we should be about, right? Is is we want to build a culture where we can be vulnerable and open. And a lot of the stigma comes from this place of of feeling like being depressed or feeling anxious or that these mental health conditions somehow say something about 
where we're at in our faith and our spiritual lives. That's sort of a judgment on our spiritual lives. And I think we need to change that. And I think mental health ministry is one of the ways that we can start doing that. As we, uh, John, as we see the breakdown of the family, right, you talk about the domestic church and where that really is the first place we end up, uh, where we really end up needing to be able to be vulnerable with one another and and forgive one another. Uh, and there's such a huge attack on the family. Um, this, this must really emphasize this need for mental health uh, services as well. Yeah, and I think, you know, to your point, Bishop Dolan, I mean, he, we were so blessed to have Bishop John Dolan. He was our auxiliary bishop here, born and raised in San Diego. Um, we lost him last year. Pope Francis called him out to Phoenix. He's the archbishop in Phoenix. But he's the one who had the vision of bringing mental health ministry under our office, precisely for that point. He's like, we can't divorce this from ministry to, to families because someone's struggling with mental health, it affects the whole family. And just how, how we understand ourselves as human beings, we are made for relationship. So if our relationships are failing, you know, on a societal level, but especially on a familial level, that is obviously going to impact our mental health. So more and more as I've been in this position, I've seen how mental health ministry is just intimately connected with everything else that we do in our office, you know, supporting marriages, supporting families, marriage preparation, mental health is involved in all of it. Um, and I think Bishop Dolan was really prescient and prophetic. And, and, and being aware of that. One of the other things I love that Bishop Dolan used to say is, you know, we're so, as a society, I think we're so diagnosis happy right now. Like there's almost a trendiness to getting diagnosed with something. Um, and that sometimes the diagnoses can be helpful because it gets us the help we need because of insurance and so on and so forth. But it can almost kind of sometimes create this divide between those who are diagnosed and those who aren't, the healthy and the unhealthy, if you will. And, and Bishop Dolan would, would always say, you know what, guys, part of being a person of faith is recognizing that we're all disordered to a certain degree. That really stuck with me when he, when he said that. We're all disordered. And, and, and so, again, if we, you know, it's not about the healthy helping the unhealthy, but rather the healthy environment that I think our parishes can really build is, again, we're all in this journey together. And whether we're diagnosed or not, we're all susceptible right? Just like some of us are more susceptible to certain physical illnesses than others, we all are more susceptible because of our genes. And science is showing this more and more because of the interplay between our genes and our environments. Depending on certain stresses in our lives, that can lead to mental illness, just like things happen in our lives that can lead to physical illness. So rather than seeing that as a source of shame, we want to be open and vulnerable about it and then realize that the healing journey, and as people of faith, we understand the healing journey doesn't just involve medication, you know, self-help kind of stuff. We also need Jesus, right? So I think as parishes, we're in this beautiful place of helping people to recognize the, the interconnection between mind, body, and yes, spirit. They sort of all connected. John, for those listening right now who may be struggling with their own mental health, or maybe they know somebody who's struggling, how can they get the help they need? I would say don't hesitate to go to your parish. You know, that's that's one of the reasons we have mental health ministry. Um, if you're the mental health world can be uh, there, there's it can be complicated. Where do I go? Where do I get the help that I need? Um, one resource that we've tried to provide is on our website, sdcatholic.org slash mental health. We have a list of resources in the community that you can turn to. We have resources for 
you know, whether it's suicide related issues, domestic violence, addiction, mental health. We also have a list of all the parishes with mental health ministries in our diocese, and they may be able to then help you connect with more local resources in your community. Another thing that we've offered kind of from the place of subsidiarity, something we can do that it's a little harder for parishes to do is we put together a network of Catholic and very Catholic friendly therapists in our diocese who've been vetted, uh, people that we would feel very comfortable with. We have relationships with all of them. So if someone was to call our office and this list is also, you know, we, we created it to get into the hands of our parishes too. So if someone were to call their parish and say, hey, I want to see a therapist who uh, who can really help me, but also integrate and be respectful, not just respectful, but even more than that, really, let's bring God into the conversation and, and how my spiritual life can contribute to my healing journey. You know, we can refer you to therapists who can do that. So, um, but I think the biggest thing is, is you know, that accompaniment, you know, having other people not realizing that you're not alone. I think so many people feel alone and oftentimes they don't realize that that accompaniment is just a phone call away that there really are people who want to help and i think our office maybe we can help we can do our part by making those connections again that website is sdcatholic.org slash mental health sdcatholic.org slash mental health john uh we're unfortunately out of time but thank you so much for being on with us today we'd love to have you on again just to continue the conversation because i think there's a lot more to unpack Absolutely. I think we just touched the service today, but I really, really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you, guys. To our listeners, if you missed any of today's show, just head to our website, jp2radio.com, and look up our Morning Crew podcast under programming. Steve, that's all for the morning, but uh, any last-minute thoughts that you have? Well, again, as always, Brandon, we want to thank carsforbabies.org. That's carsforbabies.org for their support of JP2 Catholic Radio. And JP2 Morning Crew returns next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific, so make sure to mark a calendar, set an alarm so you can tune in. Up next is Life is Worth Living with Archbishop Fulton Sheen. Keep it right here on JP2 Radio, and we'll see you next week. God bless.